Hello, listeners. I am here to give a huge thanks to Carolina, who left us a really awesome review on Facebook and says hello from Slovakia, which is awesome. We absolutely love that we have listeners all over the world. It is so rad. And now I'm going to kick it over to Jesse. Hello, listeners. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive sneak peek of our Patreon-only content where we create fanfic on the spot just for our listeners. And it's damn good. It's damn good. (laughs) All right. And with that... The Gaily Prophet is a spoiler full podcast, meaning we're going to talk about what happens in the books, like all of them. So read the books if you haven't already, because who are you if you haven't read the books yet? Like, you're just not a person. You're a ghost that exists in the universe of non-magic. And so that's my... (laughs) It's my hope and wish for everybody in this land to have experienced what all of us have experienced thus far. Literally, if you're a human being in 2019 that hasn't read these books, you should probably just stop what you're doing right now. I'm so angry right now for you that you haven't done this. This is very upsetting, but um, I believe in you. Anyways, point is, if you don't like spoilers, don't listen to our podcast, because that's what we're going to do it. Like, guess what? Dies. Did you guys know? (laughs) (laughs) So, that's what you get for not reading the books. (laughs) Nothing about this chapter is fun. I'm, like, gonna cry. Like, you're, like, not even scratching the surface of how fucking awful this is. <laughs> it's, like, it's fucked up. Stop. It, like, s- s- Are you, are you fucking kidding me? <gasps> oh, my God. Dude. Uh... I, <clears throat> It's sad. Hello, and welcome to the Gaily Prophet, a podcast for two queer IRL witches try really hard to be funny about very depressing chapters of Harry Potter. (laughs) I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire, Jesse Blount. And we're going to be talking about the first chapter of Chamber of Secrets. The worst birthday. And truly, this is a, such a terrible chapter. <laughs> I don't want to say the worst chapter, but this is... It's the worst chapter so far of like what we've read so far, including all of book one, I think. This is true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A short recap. <laughs> Fat oh. phobia and child abuse. Done. <laughs> want me to read the yeah, recap that I, I wrote? Of course I do. <laughs> I mean, we could always just leave it at that. <laughs> no, we should give the people a little more than that. Um, <clears throat> The Worst Birthday, in which J.K.R. recaps everything about Harry Potter, the events of the first book, and just how terrible the Dursleys are. 
Harry is sad because he hasn't heard from his friends or anyone in the Wizarding World all summer and has to do a ridiculous amount of back-breaking child labor on his 12th birthday. Birthday that no one, save Dudley, acknowledges. Yeah. That was very dramatic. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. I liked it. Alright. Listeners, look. I have, like three things in any section (laughs) that's not editorials or politics so i'm like just buckle up because this is a really rough chapter but we start this newspaper off with today's headlines beloved author exposed as fat phobic jerk face fans demand apology (laughs) yeah uh jk should really stop talking about the ridiculous lack of bathrooms in the wizarding world before like 200 years ago and really just apologize for how fucking awful this chapter is oh my god dude Uh, i uh, mm, i I have okay i have some light things for the front page (laughs) that aren't political (laughs) okay i have yes a few but they're honestly ours are probably the same because there's not a lot of light things in this chapter that's fair you go first The bit where Harry tells Dudley what's the magic word and all of them freak out is, like, iconic. It's just (laughs) so good. And he's just like, I meant please. And they're just, like, freaking out for, like, two pages. That actually did make me me laugh. I think I had, like, a little bit of a different take on that. But we'll we'll get there. In a lot of ways, it's not funny, but just, like, him offhandedly saying that, just, like... Yeah, no, you're right. That, the, like, the, um, confusion aspect of that is very funny. The part where Uncle Vernon says, do I look stupid while he has egg dangling from his mustache is funny. That is very... (laughs) And just, like, the unawareness of that is, like, all right, lol, dude. Yeah. Uh, also, his mustache grew back after ripping it out of his face last year. <laughs> Ten months ago, however long ago. However long. It was a year ago. It was Harry's last birthday. Yeah. <laughs> good Good job, buddy. <laughs> what else is not depressing? Um, I want to mention, and maybe you have this in editorial. I just want to say that this chapter is 11 pages long. It really could have been six pages because half of it was exposition in case you hadn't read the first book. But I'm like, why would I read book two having not read book one? Like, I just, there's just so I much think unnecessary. it's also, J.K. Rowling does it very, very clunkily. It's <laughs> not an easy word to say. But I think it's be- like assuming that people read book one and then read book two without rereading book one when book two is released. So if you like think about it in terms of like reading them as they come out, it's been, you know, over a year since you read the last book. And I feel like most series do this sort of like rehashing of what happened, but. I think the problem is that we're like seeing this through Harry's eyes. He's our narrator. And so for Harry to be narrating to us how abnormal he is and whatever is it is. It's just like very, very clunky. And it's like, what? Why? Yeah. 
I mean, I think it makes me appreciate in later books where the first chapter is by someone else's point of view. But we still get all this exposition. Or it's not exposition because exposition is when someone is talking. We still get all this whatever it is, narrative description of the previous books in the first chapter that we're interacting with Harry in mm-hmm. every book. The part where Dudley is like they're planning the meeting with Vernon's work people and Dudley's like I had to write a paper about my heroes for class and I wrote about you it's like what the actual fuck it's so funny and the idea that that would like be flattering to some rando just is like who is this child is so funny to me and it just like was one of the things that actually made me like chuckle it's actually funny because I feel like if I was like in a business dinner and someone's child I'd never met said it to me, I'd be immediately creeped out. And I'm like, what right. kind of like weird horror movie did I walk into? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, Ooh. oh my god, are, am I going to be trapped here? Like, <laughs> right. what's about? Are you about to like take over my life? Like, what is going to happen? Right now? <laughs> am I going to like end up handcuffed in your murder basement? exactly yeah no it's very it would be so unsettling to have a kid say that to you oh my god if you're not like i don't know the president you know or like something where it's like (laughs) legit for you to be someone's hero um not this current president just to clarify but um, right someone in a public position anyway (laughs) yeah worthy of that (laughs) so in case you were wondering I did Google whatever the thing that Petunia makes for dessert. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think they... Because Harry just describes it, and he doesn't actually say what it is. Um, <clears throat> so it's called wind tort pudding. It's basically layers of meringue, like fresh fruit, whipped cream, and then decorated with like candied violets. Are candied violets like actual flowers with sugar on them, or yes. is it just like yeah, uh, actually, or just sugar in the shape of violets? I saw recipes that had just like frosting violets, but it looked like you could also do just like sugar covered violets. Dude, I um, would like to eat that. Um, which is kind of like I'm like oh like that's like a pretty like intense thing to make from scratch. I guess if she mm-hmm. did. For fans of the Great British Bake Off, it actually was a technical challenge to make this pudding. I don't remember which season it was in, uh, but I'm like, oh, so this is like a legit hard thing. Because like meringues is already hard. And then you're like putting it with like layers of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so now that we're done with everything that's not political or editorial. There's not a lot of so lighthearted things one that of happen. those sections. What? This is not a lighthearted chapter at all. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, it's not. It's just not. It's sad. Welcome to Editorials, where we rant about stuff. I don't understand why Vernon just didn't take this dude out to dinner. <laughs> like, okay, I've... I have limited knowledge of the business world. I've like worked in a for-profit business before. Um, I have never heard of anyone bringing over like a prospective client 
to their home. Like, yeah, you would go out to like a fancy ass restaurant. You would go golfing. You would, you know, go to like a fancy fundraiser and bring this dude and his wife along. I don't, I don't understand like why he would bring him over to his house. That just seems risky. Like, like what if the guy's like, oh, you're like, you know, is, you know, what if this like Mr. Mason is like, this neighborhood is trash, your house is trash, your family is trash, we're not doing business with you, you know? Yeah, totally. That's a, I, I feel like just listening to you talk about that right now, I'm realizing that the Dursleys are described almost as if they're stuck in like the late 60s, early 70s. I feel like this was more, well, what am I basing this on? Television and movies. However, from from my, um, but I feel like I'm basing my experience of like current business things on the same stuff. It seems like there was a lot more of like come over and like my, you know, my housewife will prepare us a meal and you'll be so impressed with all of our like modern gadgets sort of sort of business vibe in that era than there is has been since like maybe like 80s 90s um and i wonder if that's sort of like a part of how rolling was like trying to show us how like you know backwards and bad these people are is that they're like stuck in the wrong decade yeah that's a good point really vernon is like working really hard to like put on this front to appear more than maybe even what his family already is yeah no i think that makes sense welcome to the politics section where we talk about things that are fucked up hey folks i'm here to issue a content warning about fat phobia and bodies and all of the things that come with that kind of discussion. Um, I know that we don't usually do content warnings. So the reason that I'm here doing this one is that the conversation is extremely passionate and intense. Turns out Jesse and I both have a lot of really big feelings about fat phobia and about the violence of this chapter. So we wanted to make sure that if that doesn't feel like something that you should listen to right now, you get a heads up to skip ahead by about seven and a half minutes. Yeah. So that's all. Can we start with the fat phobia? Yes, we can. (sighs) Okay. You guys. I'm, like, gonna cry. This chapter is 11 pages long. Dudley is talked about 10 times in 11 pages. Here's a list of the descriptors that are used for Dudley each of those 10 times. He belches and asks for bacon. He's described as Petunia's massive son. He falls off a chair with a crash that shakes the kitchen. He gives a foul, simpering smile... The next one describes him as having a fat arm, then fat legs, then waddling, then having a fat bottom, a fat face, and then lolling around eating ice cream. Yeah, that's like... 
it's like it's fucked up but also such lazy writing <laughs> but also so fucked up it is 11, 11 pages like my i just my mouth is agape my hand is in a like clawed frustrated position i don't i already like <laughs> ranted about this to myself and to evan and i still don't <laughs> know what to say like stop it like I mean, she just really has a problem with describing her villains as, like, quote-unquote ugly, which usually means fat. And I'm like, stop. Like, there's there's the bit about, you know, Dylan's at the table, and it describes that his, like, butt hangs over either side of the chair. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, dining room chairs are hella narrow, and I've definitely sat in chairs that my butt has done that. So, like, fuck you, JKR. For real. (laughs) Like, furniture is already, like, a really, like, touchy subject for people who are larger, because it's, like, it's not really built for large people. It's not Dudley's fault that he's sitting in a fucking narrow-ass chair. Like, fuck you. Yeah. Total side story. An acquaintance of mine is a, like, proud fat person and has um a tattoo across the bottom of his stomach he gets a tally mark for every chair that he breaks and is like super proud of it and i think that that's really beautiful that is amazing i wish i would have thought of that i have definitely broken a few chairs in my life and it's always really awkward and embarrassing yeah because fuck tiny chairs with like shitty legs yeah uh-huh exactly yeah I, I've just always thought that that was just like such a such a like beautiful and wonderful choice. It that really is. I actually I love that a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So so, fat phobia sucks. I just there just in case anyone listening, for instance, believes that BMI is an indicator of health. It's not. Go right now, pause the podcast, Google BMI indicator of health. 100% of the articles will be BMI is not an indicator of health. Like literally the person who invented the BMI was like, this is not an indicator of health. Can I, I let, can I, I let you know? Oh, sorry. No, what? Go ahead. I'm just mad. I was having a conversation with some friends this weekend and a friend of mine was telling me that the insurance at her job, like, she gets a discount that's based on how many vegetables she buys at a chain grocery store, and then also based on BMI, and I'm like, I would, and I get it, because I'm like, I mean, I, I'm i just like, it's frustrating, because I'm just like, I get wanting to save money on your insurance, but it's such, it's so fucked up and damaging to be like, oh, if you're, if you're like, you know, if your BMI isn't quote unquote correct, like we're going to charge you more money for your insurance. I'm like, fuck you guys. I mean, especially because it's like invalid. There is not a connection between weight and health. There just isn't. You can be healthy at any size. That's a great book. Everyone go read it. Right. Like, and like, I mean, bodies are gonna body like i mean like help at any size but it's like 
it's some like I just it's 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 trash. Um, it is no, be- and I, if I'm like interpreting your pauses correctly, it is also the case that literally no one owes you being healthy. Like you can be healthy at any size, but also it's fine to like not be. <laughs> Like, yeah, and some and sometimes no matter what you do, you're just gonna be at a size. No, not sometimes. Like often, most of the time, y'all epigenetics. Like literally, go go Google the like Nova Science Now YouTube. It's not from YouTube originally, but it's on YouTube. Video about epigenetics. You will learn that there's like an epigenetics is a DNA thing. Um. there's a switch an epigenetic switch that can be turned on that literally you take two rats that are clones of one another and you turn this switch on in one rat and not the other and you can calorie restrict the the one that you turn the switch on until that rat starves to death and it will never not be a fat rat just like just just stop it like some bodies are different sizes and that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. There's no, I'm really mad. <clears throat> I am also really mad. I, I guess I also want to make sure we're not getting into like any kind of like triggering area for people who like have like body weight stuff or have like disordered eating stuff. I don't know. We'll have you... to go back and look and listen to this stuff, but this is a this is a good vein. I just want to make sure that we're like doing it correctly. So. Yeah, we can put in a content warning, like a skip ahead warning. Yeah, all of this is to say that this is a shitty thing that JKR has done in a children's book, and it doesn't do fat children who read this book any favors. It I, fat phobia hurts everyone, as we said in our <laughs> recent instagram post as if it won't be recent by the time this episode comes out correct <laughs> we'll have to reshare it though for this episode that's all yeah but like you know it harmed harms still fat children but it also harms everyone else because it perpetuates the myths that we have about fat people in this society and like p- continues that programming that leads to people becoming adults who do things like write to fucking dear prudence and be like my coworker is fat and i'm just worried about her health should i say something like this kind of thing where like kids are being programmed to believe these things is like it's damaging for our whole entire society it's super fucked it's time for us to talk about something new <laughs> <laughs> do you want to talk about how much abuse is in this chapter <laughs> I'm like literally gonna cry um can we before we talk about harry's abuse can we talk about petunia's abuse yes so the way that she's described as interacting with dudley through this whole chapter makes me certain that vernon is abusing her her like emotional responses are like so big and so hair trigger like she bursts into tears and hugs Dudley when he does the weirdo thing about I wrote about you as my hero at school Mm -hmm. um 
she bursts into tears and hugs him and she's constantly like turning to him with like misty eyes and stuff like that and like the her the way that she's like interacting with the world and with her family is very like it's just very like something is is very very wrong i'm glad you brought this up because i was sort of because i hatched i actually noted vernon being abusive to the rest of the family when they're when he's like having them go through what's gonna happen when the masons show up oh yeah like that just it's so so just like controlling on such a like it's just so controlling i'm just like you've gone this a few like are you are you fucking kidding me Mm -hmm. like that just felt like very abusive to me totally and when and I guess I hadn't thought about it until you were talking about, like, the way that, like, Petunia is responding to Dudley is that Dudley and Hare both away at sc- have both been away at school for, like, nine months. Like, it's just Vernon and Petunia. Mm-hmm. Right. He's got all of that, like, rage and stuff that he's been expressing towards Harry for all this time. And it's just been her. So even though, like, I'm sure she was, like, dealing with his abuse previously, like, it probably, like amped up while they were away at school yeah yeah it's really upsetting yeah <sighs> petunia also almost brains hair with a frying pan in this chapter Mm-hmm. yep it is the first time of that we see like not just threatened but like explicitly attempted physical abuse she could have murdered him she almost hits him in the head with a frying pan. No matter what, should definitely not hit children with anything. But you certainly shouldn't hit them in the face with heavy objects. What the fuck would Dumbledore have done if Petunia had murdered Harry? <laughs> yeah, that sure would have been an unexpected twist for him, huh? And I feel like the fact that, like... It, I mean, obviously Harry has, there's a lot of physical abuse that happens to Harry, but the fact that, like, that didn't happen, it, like, it could have easily gone the other way. Like, I don't, like, Dumbledore's grand plan could have been ended by, like, this abused woman abusing this, like, tiny child. Right. For sure. Oh, it's so fucked up. And I think what's even worse is, like, I think, like we've said before, like, it's definitely trying to be, like, you know, James and the giant peach, like, ha-ha, like, child abuse, but it's not. It just, it isn't. And I just, ugh. Like, it just doesn't, it it doesn't read like that. It doesn't read like it's... Yeah, I'm with you. There just is, like, a stylistic difference between the way that James and the giant peach is written versus the way that Harry Potter is written where these things like don't line up. I've read Charlie and the chocolate factory more recently than I've read James and the giant peach. So I'm going to use that as a reference instead, but like, so, so like details, like the, the grand, the four grandparents have all been laying in the same bed together for the last how 20 years or something like that like these like very these other very very absurd details and even the fact that like their names are like what joe and 
Josephina and George and Georgetta, you know, like these like very silly things, they make it so much more apart from our world entirely. Whereas Harry Potter is like, there's this part of it that's out of our world, but the parts where he's in the muggle world, we're in the muggle world. We're not in like a twisted version of the muggle world. We're just in our world. Right. Everything that's happening in a Roald Dahl story is happening in this like skewed version of reality. And so it, we can have these like horrible child abuse descriptions, but like everything there is like weird and worse and like just there's there's this twist to it and that that isn't happening here and so these descriptions of child abuse just are descriptions of child abuse and there's nothing flippant or funny about them at all yeah it's not like yeah because i feel like especially with like taking like charlie and chocolate factory where like everything is just so like larger than life and just so absurd mm-hmm. you know and like you know all the other spoiled children that you know charlie is with it's just it's it's so absurd where with if you were a writer like jkr it would just be very sad <laughs> right you know yeah it would be like oh all these children are also sort of being abused and like are not being like very well taken care of by their parents right I, the difference between augustus gloop and Dudley is like they are a world apart they are essentially the same character like a very very fat blonde boy that eats continuously and is very selfish but they're in terms of the way that they come across in the story they have nothing in common yeah right and it's like and I think it's you know if you've read I think it's clear that like that's kind of that's basically where like um jkr is sort of pulling her inspiration from but it's just like it just fall it just like she tries to infuse too much realism to make it entertaining it's just upsetting Hmm. yeah or like it's not like it's not like i, I don't know if i want to say satire because i feel like people try to use satire in a way that like just makes it very hurtful but i don't know what i'm trying to say i mean yeah I feel like good satire, like all good comedy, punches up. And this isn't punching up. No, it is definitely is not. Yeah, you're right. That like there's a lot of satire out there that is like very, very unkind. But like what makes good satire is that it's like making someone who's in making fun of someone who's in a privileged position or like someone who is in a position making fun of themselves, right? The difference between that and what we have here is like, this is an ostracized child who is being abused. Where is the satire? Like, what's funny here? Right. I can't find anything. <sighs> um. So I actually, that like rolls into something. Okay. That I have, which um, I know just says I fixed this sentence. (laughs) (laughs) So the original sentence is the Dursleys were what wizards called muggles, not a drop of magical blood in their veins. And as far as they were concerned, having a wizard in the family was a matter of deepest shame. And so in case anyone was unclear, 
about the fact that Harry Potter is a queer narrative, you can fix the sentence to say, the Dursleys were what people called Republicans, not a drop (laughs) of empathy in their veins. And as far as they were concerned, having a queer in the family was a matter of deepest shame. Definitely went to college with some folks like that. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and I if you use that as the lens through which you're reading this chapter, like the chapter just becomes even more upsetting. You guys, I have given myself an eye twitch with the amount of distress I'm feeling talking about. Oh no. This. <sighs> I'm fine, it's fine. Nothing about this chapter is fun. <laughs> but I made you laugh, so at least that's a win. Yeah, that, I actually was very amused by that sentence. <laughs> um, I have one more thing in politics. Okay. <laughs> Once again, Harry mentions his trauma nightmares of meeting Voldemort and almost being killed. Mm-hmm. And th- that's it. He's just having these nightmares on top of everything else that's literally the worst in this fucking chapter and i'm just very sad that mm-hmm. he's getting no help for this mm-hmm. that and his like just abject loneliness and despair about his friends not acknowledging his birthday are the last things that i have too or it's and I, those are kind of lumped together for me where it's just like oh my god this fucking child like uh, <laughs> i don't know I feel like calling this chapter the worst birthday is, like, such... It's, like, you're, like, not even scratching the surface of how fucking awful this is. Right. And, like, I don't know. What? And the... I don't know. The thing that, like, is really hard is that it's, like, she writes these Muggle World chapters to make... I mean, I assume her objective is to make the transition to the magical world more dramatic but like in this book harry's gonna go back to hogwarts and he has like a second and a half before the entire school ostracizes him because they think he's the heir of slytherin like (laughs) i think that basically happens in every book of the series where like harry has a shitty summer and then he goes off to hogwarts and then something more shitty happens to him. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. Yeah, he just can't catch a break. Oh, yeah. No, he can't. <laughs> because I'm so sorry this episode is so sad. If you <laughs> are someone who just started listening with the season wrap-up episode, last episode, I promise this is usually a very funny podcast. <laughs> it's not usually just us crying for an hour. <laughs> Maybe we should have read chapters one and two, but I think two, actually, the next chapter isn't any better. No, because then we have to talk about the fucking abuse of non-human magical creatures. Yeah. It's not our fault. Uh, Health and science. Yep. Not that that's (laughs) going to be any funnier. No, it's not. Welcome to the health and science section. So in this chapter, uh... Harry slash 
omnipotent JKR described muggles as having not a drop of magical blood. But it doesn't actually make sense if you look at everything in the series, which points to magic being some kind of, like, being genetic on some level. Um, so, like, Petunia and Dudley definitely carry probably some kind of magical gene, mm-hmm. you know? Like, there's not, I mean, Lily was magic and Petunia was not. And Harry's magic and Dudley is not. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, Dudley could possibly have a magical child. Which, headcanon is my favorite. I definitely headcanon that happened at some oh, point. Oh, wow. And so, I just... And, like, obviously there's a very racist history of equating, like, blood and genetics and, like, bloody blah Um, But I just want to let everyone know that I firmly believe that the magic described in these books is genetic. Which also makes me wonder if, like people like Hermione, that just means that they have, like, someone like Dudley in their family where it skips a generation, or, uh, like, Squib in their family, like, in her family, where it's, like, however that works, you know, it skips a bunch of generations. So, I'm gonna posit that magic is a dominant trait, and that people like Lily and Hermione, it's a spontaneous genetic mutation as opposed to Mm. something that they inherit. So like the disability that I have is genetic. Like it starts with one person having a spontaneous genetic mutation. And then it's like, after that, it's just like passed down in the family But, and, like, different people who inherit it can have it to, like, varying degrees. But, like, once, yeah, once, like, that mutation happens, then, like, your family has it. But that doesn't mean that, like, you know, so say, if if it were the case that, like, I was the person who, like, had the spontaneous mutation in my family, that wouldn't mean that my brother or, like, any of his offspring would have, like, a risk, a higher risk of developing EDS. Because, like, the mutation just would, like, belong to me and then to my offspring. Interesting. Because I don't think that magic skips generations. Like, I don't know. I don't all the way understand how squibs work. Although squibs, I guess, also could be, like, a, a spontaneous mutation to, like, turn off that gene. Or, like, an epigenetic situation to turn off that gene. And we don't know anything about if squibs have magical kids or not. Yeah. I feel like I think that, like, Hermione had a genetic mutation and now she has a dominant magic gene that she will pass down to her children Mm -hmm. thoughts yeah no that makes a lot of sense although i love Um, the idea of dudley having a magical kid kind of except for the part where like he would be disinherited by his parents and that kid would grow up with no grandparents and which is probably for the best because i feel like uh petunia and vernon as grandparents would be the worst that's true so so Dudley should definitely not ever let any of his children, magical or not, near them. That's true. Um, or maybe Petunia will divorce Vernon when she's like in her 60s and, I don't know, become a late in life lesbian and just like have a way better life. Just like a life where she's just like hanging out with other like older ladies without husbands. Yeah. I'm, like, a really big fan of late-in-life lesbianism. 
which is I think just like happened because of something that Danny Ortberg wrote about um, Emily <laughs> Gilmore being a late in life lesbian that I was like oh my god that's that should be everyone who was like stuck being like a housewife and a homemaker for a man for like an extended part of their life should should become late in life lesbians by choice okay i am definitely on that train i just don't want petunia on my team that's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay but like don't you feel like if she voluntarily left a relationship with vernon and like got some therapy and like figured her shit out and like reconciled with Harry or at least like made a meaningful apology whether or not he chose to accept it because no matter what he has no obligation to and just like sorted herself out like I feel like I feel like she deserves like some peace and like I just feel like she also deserves to like not be in the presence of toxic masculinity this is true I will all right I, 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 I rescind my not on my team. <laughs> she, can, she, she can be on the team. She has some work to do before she earns a spot on the team. I'm not saying just yeah. like let her in. She has to like earn her way in through some like serious yeah. hard work. But yeah, for sure. My last health and science is about poor Hedwig. <laughs> and just really like she's in this cage like what what is Harry feeding her? Like she has been hunting. Like she she describes hunting actively a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like what is going on? I just and I don't know if this is sad or amusing, but I just imagine her as like one of those like parrots that get really stressed out and like pluck their feathers out. Oh no! And it's just like it's just like Hedwig now. I think the thing that like is really upsetting to me is. Um the the way that like her cage is depicted in the movies and i think in the like illustrations in the book like the chapter illustrations it's like not bigger than her you know she like just fits in there and so her wings have atrophied i looked it up atrophy starts occurring in as little as two weeks like if she can't spread her wings if she can't and even if she can spread them out unless she's like literally like in there like working out the part that's coming up where they like let her fly behind the car she wouldn't be able to like she would require like owl pt to recover from being locked in her cage for this much time yeah i like yeah like in reality she would need a like 12 by 12 like giant like parrot cage i mean how far i mean owls are big yeah 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 no it's like super upsetting like she would be like pretty physically fucked up and Uh, emotionally fucked up yeah yeah i sorry i just looked it up uh the average wingspan of a snowy owl is between 49 and 57 inches uh i don't know how many feet it's um 57 inches is 4.75 feet yeah that's that's a lot of space that's a lot of space. It, nothing about this book series has given us any indication that that uh, Hedwig has a cage that size. Unless it is a magical cage that is bigger on the inside, just like the tents of the wizard. Based on the descriptions that we get, I don't think that that's the case. 
Anyway, uh, if you have Birds of Prey, everyone, please do not put them in cages that are only as big as them when their wings are closed. Yeah. No. I know someone who has a starling as a pet. Like, they rescued it as a baby and then it bonded because they do that. And it's, like, winter inside enclosure is, like, like 12 by 4. So that, and it's, like, a 5-inch bird, you know? But it needs that much space to be able to fly around and, like, stay healthy through the winter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Long story short, I think Harry should have busted that cage open for Hedwig. Yeah, literally, like, dude, get some fucking pliers and just, like, rip the cage open and be like, go to Ron's. Right, he doesn't even, like, he, Harry wouldn't even need to use magic. Mm-mm. Harry, sometimes you're not very bright. Okay, look, his friends aren't contacting him, and he's incredibly, incredibly fucked up and being actively super abused. Hedwig is literally his only friend, and he's 12. So, like, <laughs> the fact that Hedwig is, like, seriously suffering is not, like, even on his radar because he's, like, I need you. Like, I need you so badly to be here with me. That is true. Which is devastating. Neither of them are having a good time, and someone should help them. Like, literally everyone but Vernon in this chapter is being abused. Even though Dudley doesn't really know that he's being abused. But he's being abused by J.K. Rowling to make up for Vernon not as actively abusing him i feel like if this was a raw doll novel vernon would be like had been eaten by something by book seven or like Mm -hmm. whatever so the fact that that never happens is such a travesty in the series yeah i just had like a vision in my head of that scene in the princess bride where humperdinck gets away and the kid that's being read to is like who gets him? Like he just he just gets away. Like who who kills him? And the grandpa's like nobody. He just he just goes. And he's like that's terrible. Like fuck this story. <laughs> um, I feel like it's a little bit like that. Like who yeah. gets Vernon? <laughs> no one. Maybe Dadalus Diggle ends up murdering Vernon. We just never hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like town with this guy i'm just gonna turn him into like a mouse and uh you know he's like i read the witches <laughs> <laughs> aren't we in a roll doll book i did read that book <laughs> how do you um, like being in a tiny cage just put him in a little mouse cage as big as a mouse and they only live for like two years yep that's also a very sad book yeah Jesus. Yep. Uh. So once once we finish the Harry Potter series, I feel like we should just switch over to like reading all of the old doll books. Um, We've released late a groundwork for this. I would I would be into that. Okay. Welcome to the advice section. This is what we decided <laughs> to do as the last thing. I don't know you guys. Jesse, is there anything we can do to like make people laugh on the way out of this podcast? I I don't know about this whole episode to be perfectly honest. We're so sad. Um <clears throat> Dear listeners, we canceled the first three episodes of book two. <laughs> they were too sad. Welcome to episode we just- four.
<laughs> we just jump right into the death day party. Yeah. Uh, oh, let's give advice to the Masons. That can be funny. Okay. Yes. Although they're not even there yet. Our advice to the Masons is run. <laughs> Get out while you still can. I feel like my advice is to the neighbors of the Dursleys, which is maybe you should uh, share the number of your landscaper with them (laughs) so they're not having a 12-year-old do it. Yeah, share the number pointedly while saying, you know, so that that 12-year-old isn't doing it in a way that's like, I see you. Uh, instead of advice, I'm going to leave with this um, this note that I found in my book that I hadn't written down in my, um, my write-up for the episode, which is that Harry says he'd almost be glad of a sight of his arch enemy, Draco Malfoy, just to be sure it hadn't all been a dream. And I underlined it and wrote, GAY, in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> still, still thinking about Draco just oh yeah it's like wait have we talked about this in terms of that like kate beaton comic where like there's a dude who's like yeah like this is my arch like enemy i like think about him constantly and then like the last panel is like this dude like sleeping next to a photo of his enemy (laughs) and it's just like i think there's a couple other panels where it gets like progressively like are you sure about your i've your arch enemy like yeah uh, that's yeah. very funny oh man i gotta i gotta find it and send it to you because it's the best yeah please um, do we follow a lot of like hardcore uh dreary shippers on instagram and they mostly just post like screenshots of tumblr fanfics uh that are all like really funny i am not a dreary shipper personally mostly because i'm like not a big fan of like frenemies or people getting into relationships with people that are mean to them but the fanfics are quite lovely (laughs) so that's like i'm into people who are like you're my enemy and i don't know now we're boning it's (laughs) i'm actually not super into drawery but i end up reading it because like there's a lot of talented writers who write that, so mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I guess I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think I could. I think if it's well well written enough, I could be. I I would read literally any ship mm-hmm. and any of the things I consume if it's like, you convinced me. This is well written. Wow, that's cool. So. Huh. Well, I mean, I say that and then I'm, like, also, like, obsessed with carry-on. So, like, clearly that's also true for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just make it different enough. Carry-on is excellent. Yeah, it is. So. All right, everyone. We're sorry. I mean, kind of. It's not our fault. We didn't write it. We just read it. <laughs> I mean, this would just be a very, a much shorter episode. Um, We've been talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> Anyway, again, new listeners, people who came on board after our um, recap. Again, we swear this is usually a funny podcast and it will be funny again. Don't worry. At any rate, thank you 
for listening to this week's episode of The Gaily Prophet. If you want more of us between now and next week, you can go follow us on social medias at The Gaily Prophet on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all of which are places where good things happen. And also you can go over to patreon.com slash the gaily profit, which is a place where you can support us and get really cool things in return. Also, we have a shop at the gaily slash shop where you can get t-shirts and mugs and stickers and postcard packs of our season one episode art. And also you can leave us an iTunes review. That's a whole list of all the ways that you can support us. Thank you. If you want to hear more from me in between episodes, I'm on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit and on Instagram at live from Detroit. And you can find me at larkmalachi.com. That's L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I where you can read more about the work that I do with nutrition. That's fat positive. <laughs> and also <laughs> I do trans inclusivity trainings for other healthcare providers where you can nominate your healthcare provider if they suck at being good to trans people or you think they might suck at being good to trans people if you're not trans and don't know for sure and you can follow me on instagram at lark malachi same spelling and at radical healer our logo was created by theo julian forrester and you can find him on instagram at theo julian forrester and theo also draws our weekly comics which you should definitely check out if you have not already our spoiler warning uh is by the very talented sarah sarwar the music for our theme song is by kevin mcleod all of that information is in our show notes like it is every week <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to mention that it was in our show notes. As promised at the top of this episode, you are about to hear a snippet from one of our Patreon-exclusive episodes of The Queer Blur, where we create fanfic on the spot for you. Turns out we're really good at it. So, (laughs) um, you know, stay tuned for that. Until next time. Wind Tort Pudding, please. Fat phobia. Late in life lesbian. crashes through the gates of Hogwarts (laughs) knocking down the winged boars everything goes flying McGonagall and Flitwick are just flabbergasted that something could take out their protective spells that they've been doing so faithfully since the beginning they're grateful that Voldemort didn't think of the (laughs) semi-truck it screeches to a halt at Hermione's feet Hermione pumps her fist in the air And screams, fuck yeah, physics. (laughs) And then proceeds to climb into the cab of the truck. Luna follows.
Hermione does some complicated and elegant wand work over the steering wheel and the front of the truck. It begins to glow and then levitate off of the ground. Damn. Thank you.